We've been working through our mission statement the last uh, few weeks, and this is the last part of our mission statement that we'll talk about this week and, and next week. And we've looked at each part of it, equipping every member, serving in ministry, and connecting in community. And now we're at the last part. And these are really, I want you to see what we're doing with this mission statement and with what we're talking about. These are how do we live out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's one thing to to talk about it and say some nice words about it or even to repeat a prayer about it or even to memorize some scripture. But this is what disciples do. This is what disciples do. They are equipped and continuing to be equipped. They serve. They serve disciples of Jesus Christ serve and they are engaged closely with one another because they know that they cannot and will not make it by themselves. None of us makes it by ourselves, but we're going to look at this last part now. These are the four core practices of discipleship, equip, serve, connect, and engage. And today we're going to look, begin to look at what it means to be engaged. And so this is the sermon today called to go engaging your neighbors. And I'm not going to do what I usually do, have us stand together and read the word, because the word today we're going to look at different parts of Scripture, but this comes from Matthew 28, verse 19, the first part of that verse, which is called the Great Commission, as Jesus meets with his disciples before he's taken up into heaven, and he says, therefore, go. Go. And make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, therefore, chill out right here and hope everybody comes. He does not say that. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. I love right before this verse, Jesus lets them know why they can do that. He says, all authority. Somebody say, all authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go, go in my authority, go in my power, go with my word, go by my spirit, go and make disciples. This is God's call to his people. And that means we engage our context. We engage our community. We are in purposeful relationships, whether they're long term or whether that relationship is while you're standing in line at the shop right. That's a relationship that you can use to glorify God and to engage someone in his goodness. Amen. So we're going to look at three things today. First of all, I want you to see this. God himself is the ultimate goer. God is the great goer. Missiologists talk about Uh, the Missio Dei, or the mission of God, if you read this thing called the Bible, you'll find that there's two chapters at the beginning and six verses after that that talk about the creation, that talk about God's initial creation. Then there's six verses that talk about the fall of humankind into sin. And then the rest of it from Genesis 3, 8, on, right on through gener- uh, right on through Revelation is about God's going, God's winning, God's getting. God is coming after us. That's what the scripture's about. That's what the scripture's about. Right after Adam and Eve 
fall into sin. They say, that's what God said, but I got a better way. I'm going to do it my own way. And in their arrogance, they sin. And the Bible says they cover themselves with fig leaves. But the next thing you see in the scripture is this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They sinned, they covered themselves, they tried to hide, and where's God? He's like, I'm going to walk right here. I'm right in this garden. I'm right here with you. I'm not far away. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from the Lord God in the trees of the garden. I don't know about any of you, but I've hidden myself from God more than a time or two. I've tried to hide from God. I've tried to hide from others. I've even tried to hide from myself. But here we have the picture of those who rebelled against God and God is going after them. You can run. You can even hide, but you can't escape the reach of our God. God is the ultimate goer and the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Where are you? God's coming after you is the best news that you'll ever get in this world. The fact that God is coming after you is good news. Whether you're not a Christian yet or whether you are a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, God is still coming after you. And that's that's good news. Most of you, many of you know John 3.16. You could just rattle it off in the Greek, some of you, Pastor Tim. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. But many of you don't know John 3.17 quite as well. And it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. God sent his son. He said, go, son. Go, boy. Go, Jesus. Go do it. Go do it. Go get them, Lord. Go get them. Go get them, Jesus, and bring them to me. Bring them to yourself. Pour out our spirit on them. Pour out the Holy Ghost on them. Lord Jesus, go. God is the ultimate goer. I just want to share one last scripture on this point. It's from the book of Hosea, and I'm not going to read a lot of it, but some of you know of the prophet Hosea. Hosea is a young dude in Israel. He's coming into his prophetic life and feeling good about it. And God comes to Hosea and he starts speaking to him. Hosea is like, I'm hearing from God. I'm going to be a prophet. Like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, he's all excited. I don't know if he really knew what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel went through, but he's all excited. God's speaking to me and I can hear him. And God says, I I got a wife for you. Hosea's like, yeah, I got a wife. A wife he's coming. Praise God. Lord, tell me something about this wife. And the Lord God says to Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. Hosea all of a sudden is like, hang on, time out, time out. Uh, uh, A what? (laughs) A prostitute. I want you to marry a prostitute. And in the, the NLV translation puts it this way. God says to him, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute going after other gods. So very often prophets live the thing out, right? 
they live the thing out. And it's one thing to live it out by lying on the ground or by by being put in, in jail. But now I want you to marry a prostitute. Hosea all of a sudden is not quite as excited about his calling. But here he is. He he is called to marry this prostitute. And uh, he they, they have children. The first child is a little boy. His name is Jezreel. The second child, a beautiful little girl. And the Lord says to Hosea, I got a name for her. Call her Lo Ruham. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Ruhama means love. But lo means not. Her name is not loved. This is your daughter, not loved. And then after lo Ruhama is weaned, God says, you're going to have another son, and I have a name for your son. Verse 8, he says, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, not loved, not my people. Those are difficult names to bring to kindergarten, amen? Those are tough names to share with your kindergarten teacher and your classmates. And he says, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you. This is the Lord speaking to the prophet, for you are not my people and I am not your God. The very next verse, verse 10, God says, yet, I love God's yet. (laughs) I love God's yet. He says, yet, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. Yeah, for a minute, for a minute, for a minute. You're you're not my people, but I'm telling you, they're going to be like the sand of the seashore and they will be called the children of the living God. Chapter two starts out this way. Say of your brothers, my people and of your sisters, my loved one. We have been cut off for God from for a minute. But God says, I am coming after you. No matter how many ways and how many times you've messed this up and gone after other gods and other things and not prioritized me in your life, I'm not done with you. I'm coming after you and you will be my beloved. You will be my people. God is the ultimate, the ultimate goer. I was 18 years old and far, far from the living God. It was my first time away from home at college, and I discovered things that I didn't know that well before then. Away from home, away from someone watching over me, and I began to dive into ways that did not honor God at all, even when I knew better. Amen? But I wasn't saved, but God came running after me. He gave me a roommate named Daryl. Daryl was a 23-year-old college freshman, and he was one of my roommates. I had two, but Daryl was one of them, and Daryl had this powerful walk with the Lord. He never jacked me up and said, you need Jesus. He just lived Jesus right in front of me. 
He prayed. He sought the face of God. He went to prayer service. I didn't know what prayer service was. Little Catholic boy that I was, I knew nothing about it. At the same time, my best friend for the last eight years, Kevin, had gone into the military. He went into the Air Force, Lackland Air Force Space, into boot camp down there. And while he was in boot camp, a member of his squadron, a young man who bunked right above Kevin, tried to commit suicide. He cut himself, and there was blood everywhere, and it rocked my friend's world. Kevin did not know what to do with what was going on around him as everything in life changed coming in to this military lifestyle. Kevin did not have a serious bone in his body in high school, and all of a sudden, life and death are right before him. And a member of his squadron was a Christian and told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Kevin came to faith. And there used to be these things called letters. Y'all don't know nothing about letters anymore. But Kevin wrote me all these letters. He kept writing me letters. And there were these, there, these things. Y'all don't know about this called cassette tapes. And Kevin sent me cassette tapes with Christian music. On them. Contemporary Christian was new, but there were people playing guitars and talking about Jesus, and I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Three months later, if I could play guitar, I was praising God on my knees. Jesus was real in my life. God was coming after me. God is the first and greatest goer, He's the ultimate goer. But not only is God the great goer, but Brothers and sisters, we are called to go. We are called to go. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 a little bit. But we are called to go and represent this great God. And and, and let others know of this love that we have received. Tell somebody next to you, you are called to go. You are called to go. Tell someone else, you're called to go. Amen. You're called to go. You're called to go. I love this scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul puts it this way, starting at verse 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, no one can tell me what to do. (laughs) He says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. Verse 20 says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win Jews. Drop down to verse 22. He says, to the weak, I became weak. Why, Paul? To win the weak. And he says, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. Verse 23 says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul's life has been rocked by the goodness of God. It's been changed forever when he was knocked down on that road to Damascus by Jesus and he is a new man, changed his name from Saul to Paul and everything else about him changed as well. 
And he says, now, yeah, in, in one sense, I'm free. I can, I can do what, what I want to do, but I'm not free because I, I, I have a, an obligation to the one who saved me. And therefore, this has been so good. I want everyone to know about the goodness of my God. And he says, I made a, myself a slave to everyone in order that I might win some. I, w- I want to win some. That, that word there, and actually at the end where it says that I might save some, it's the same word there again in the Greek, to win. The idea here is to acquire something by effort or investment, to gain something. To acquire something by effort or investment, to gain it, to win it. And Paul is trying to win and to gain the lives of others under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is investing. What is he investing? It's not money. What is he investing? He's investing his life. He is saying no to some things in order that his life might Be a conduit for others to see the grace, the love, the mercy, the goodness, the strength, the power, and the wonder of this God that he serves. And so Paul says, I'm going to do everything I possibly can along with every group, every person, every tribe, every way that I possibly can to see them come into the knowledge and the life of Christ. Last week, Pastor Tim spoke a word that I I, I think was a profound word from God to New Life Philly. He talked about us becoming dead seed communities. And a dead seed community where, where unless that grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone But if it dies, it produces a wild amount of fruit. And we talked about that in our life group last week. I'm sure many life groups did. And we're we're working through what that means. But let me just say this. There is no dead seed community unless we become dead seed Christians. Amen. Unless we become believers who are willing to put aside for a moment our comfort who are willing to put aside for a little way, for a little time, our flesh, to put aside for a little while my way and my preference in order that I might make the way easier for someone else. Dead Sea Christians, Dead Sea communities were willing to be planted and to die to our, to some of our desires that would in some way make the gospel harder for someone else to see. God help us. Paul says, I make myself a slave. In other words, I purposefully take the lowest position. To serve others so that they might see the one I serve, Jesus Christ. I willingly take on hardship myself so that others have a clearer path to salvation. We just celebrated Veterans Day. It's a day when we remember fallen Soldiers and those who have gone before us, not just fallen ones, but 
soldiers and those who have served in the military, anyone here, I know Colin, others uh, have served in the forces, and we thank you for your service today. Remember watching the movie Glory. Some of you have seen that with Denzel Washington. He got an Academy Award for that, and he should have, because they were whipping his back, and he was smiling, and a tear came out of his eye. I said, Academy Award, right there. If he doesn't get it this time, there's a problem with the Academy. Anyway, but, but that movie celebrates the 54th Regiment of the Union Army in Massachusetts, which was the first all-black regiment in the Civil War. It's the first time that they actually used uh, black soldiers in the Civil War. And in that movie, the, the, the end of the movie, they are attempting to take uh, a, a fort. I think it's in South Carolina, Fort Wagner. And the only way to the fort, uh, to, to get to it, is on the seashore, which is wide open. And those on the fort are up high. And they have to come in a way that they can easily be seen whenever they come. And so what they know is that the first waves of those who go to attack that fort, they are going to more than likely perish in the pursuit of this goal. They're, they're, not, they're not trying to uh, kid themselves about it. If, if you go in this regiment, and the 54th Regiment, there were other regiments uh, involved in this, they said, we'll do it, we want to go first. They're willing to die in order for the greater goal to be accomplished. Brothers and sisters, we need some first wave believers who are willing to go first, willing to sacrifice in order that others might be blessed. Here's what I want you to see. You can become either a stepping stone to the salvation of others or a roadblock that discourages them from moving forward towards God. We can all become that, and we have been that at different times in our lives. Had this thought, and I just had to live with this thought. What does that mean? What does that look like in my life? I remember years ago hearing from someone that I love deeply. He said to me, I feel, who was struggling with depression. They were hurting deeply. You could see it was all over their face, all over their body looked at me and said, I feel like I'm invisible. I feel like I'm invisible. That was my daughter. That was my daughter. And a large part of her feeling invisible was because of her daddy. Busy. In ministry. Busy quote, unquote, doing the Lord's work. I feel invisible. What I realize, looking back on that time, is that in many ways, I was a roadblock to her. 
not, not, not a stepping stone that, that showed her the clear path to God, but a roadblock. Because it's not about all the things I was doing or a sermon I was preaching or some other ministry event that I was leading. It was about paying attention to this little girl who just needed her daddy to be there with her and affirm her in love. Brothers and sisters, we can be roadblocks, not even purposefully, or we can be stepping stones. We A stepping stone, I, I, I looked up the definition of it. There's different definitions, but this is the one I think about when I think of that word. I think of a, a stream that has some rocks that go across the stream. And, and, and if, if you just step on the rocks, and you can go across the stream, you'll never get wet. They're stepping stones. They point the way and they give you a way to get from where you are to where you want to be. God is calling us to be stepping stones. To help someone else experience the wonder of the love of God. It's not that hard to do it in many ways. It's saying a kind word to a clerk in the grocery store who's just been harassed all day by the public. Amen. Some of y'all work with the public. Some of us are the public. We're all the public. And the public can be nasty and difficult sometimes to speak a kind word of love. To ask a waitress who's doing a terrible job of waitressing that you just want to let off some steam on and say, why didn't you do this? And this wasn't right. And you want a tip? My tip is next time serve me better, right? That's my tip. But instead of returning her bad service, her bad day, her difficult time with our own adding to it with more difficulty to lovingly engage that person, perhaps to say, you know what? I, I, I noticed you're having a hard day. Is there some way I can pray for you? Is there any way I can pray for you? Just looking at ways to let people know that there is a God that cares. Amen. Last thing here. How do we do this? If we're going to go, if we're going to engage others, we need to go in Jesus' love. Second John chapter 4, not chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says this. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, and he's speaking to the church, dear lady, he calls the church. I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his command. Stop there for just a second. When I think of that word, this is love, and he says that we walk in obedience to co his commands, my mind automatically goes to thou shalt not. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. This is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. So if I'm going to love well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do that. I'm loving it. This is his commands. But look at the last part of this. It says, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. 
Jesus, when he had to sum up the 613 commandments of the Old Testament and all of those that the Pharisees and others added to those commands, what is it all about? He says, love God and love your neighbor. That's it. That's where these commands all hang on. Love God and love your neighbor. God calls us to be a people who walk in the love of Jesus Christ. But here's the reality. We will not do that well unless you are filled with some Jesus. Amen. Unless you are constantly being filled with the love of God in Jesus Christ, unless you are constantly understanding and taking in his love in new ways, in new situations every day, unless you're there, you won't have it to give out. You've got to be filled up. Well, I was filled with the Holy Ghost in 1994. Well, that's good. I'm glad you were. Were you filled this morning? We need a fresh Filling of God on the daily. If your days are like some of my days, you need multiple fillings in a day because it can get away from you real quick. It can get away from you at the stoplight. Amen. Amen. When someone confuses red for green and then some words come to your imaginations that, that you know don't glorify God. Amen. It can get away from us real quick. We need to be constantly being filled. I I talk about this scripture so much because it's so near to my heart. And I realize how much more work I have to do to get there. And that is John chapter 15. The vine and the branches. Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. And and, and the, the, the branches need to be hooked into the vine. They need to be in the vine or else there's no life in the branches. Brothers and sisters, we need to be plugged into the vine, which is Jesus Christ, all the time, over and over and over again. That means our lives need to be different. We need to reprioritize what it means to set aside time in our lives to be with God. I don't have time is not working anymore. It can't work anymore. You don't have time not to spend in the presence of God. I'm just going to share with you a couple of apps that have helped me in the last few weeks as I've begun to use these apps on my phone, or you can use them on iPad, whatever it is. But one is Lectio 365, which uh, is one that is speaking to you. It's playing some little music in the background, and it goes through different scriptures a couple of times and gives a word. That's one that, uh, that, that I use every morning. I'm trying to get into a better habit of using it in the evenings, but I don't want to use it in the evenings while I'm laying in my bed. Because it has this very soothing music that I will say, yeah, I, I did time with the Lord last night. No, you didn't. You were dead sleep, Larry. Come on, tell the truth. It's shame the devil. So I, w- I want to do it while I'm attentive. I need to be attentive to what God is doing. The other is the Lectio Journal, which uh, is something that 
has a scripture each day and a way to work through that scripture in about four different movements. You're working through that scripture to hear uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying, uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, to you, and then how am I going to apply this? What am I going to do with this? And, and, and just basking in God's love. These might work for some of you. They may not work for others of you. But what has to happen in all of us is we have to prioritize time with God, with distractions put away. You've got to fight to find that. So I close here today. To begin to understand life is to understand that your life is a saga. Some of you are in the Marvel Universe. Others might be in the Lord of the Rings. These great sagas where you have heroic characters and you have evil and good fighting against one another and life is in the balance. That is your life, but it's not fiction. It's real. And it's today, and it's tomorrow, and it is the next day. And the central plot of the saga of your life is that God is running after you to engage you, to love you, to save you, to use you, to glorify his name in you. Do you feel that? I'm asking that question on purpose. Do you feel that? Because sometimes we can know it, but we don't feel it. God wants you to know it, but he also wants you to feel it. I feel it every day. I feel it every day. God has engaged me in this relationship. He came after me in a particular way 42 years ago. When he used a couple of my jacked up friends to lead me to himself. And all these years later, he does not stop. God knows every sin in my life. He knows every stray thought that goes the wrong way. Every wayward thought. He knows everything about me that is not like him. And yet he never stops running after me. And he won't stop running after you either. Here's the thing. If you know and feel God coming after you, his unstoppable love, then you will also be used by God to engage others with that same love. New Life Philly, we are called to engage our neighbors with the love of Christ. Here's what I'm convinced of. We could teach 37 evangelism courses. And it won't make much difference. It won't make a difference until and unless we are a people who are moved, motivated, 
changed and empowered by the love of God for others. Because we've received it, we've tasted it, and someone else needs to taste this thing too. Telling someone who's spending time in the presence of God to love others is like telling a Philadelphia pretzel to be salty. It already is. There's so much salt, you got to knock salt off that, John, right? It's like telling a mango water ice on a hot day to be sweet. Oh, Jesus, I can't wait for that mango water ice. Let's be those people soaked in the love of God. He's poured it out on you so that we may pour out his love on others. Stand with me if you